So trusting in the blood of Christ. And I'll say before I jump into this, the progression um, that I'm going to go through in this message, we're going to cover a lot of ground talking about the blood. If you didn't know, last Sunday uh, going into Monday was the Day of Atonement, the day on the Jewish, the Jewish calendar where you celebrate you know, the perfect spotless lamb that would be publicly um, slain before the whole Jewish people for the sins of the entire nation. And so, so that was last Sunday through Monday. Um, but so this guy... This guy, some of you guys might be familiar uh, with this author. His name is Watchman Nee, and um, this book is called The Normal Christian Life. And the first chapter in this book, that's all I'm, I'm, really everything that he talks about and what I'm going to share was, is already in my heart. But the, the teacher, Watchman Nee, has a way of, um, ordering things out. God has really been showing me how there's a progression and there's an order to everything. And when you can understand order and progression, it can help you start taking the right steps into experiencing transformation, to experiencing God's life. And so the first chapter in this book, I highly recommend this book. Um, You can find it on Amazon. It's like $6, which is a steal. And... um, he just, the first chapter kind of helped just lay out some of the progression when we're talking about the blood. So, the first thing we're going to talk about is the answer to every need is found in Jesus. Yes. Jesus is the all-sufficient answer for literally everything that we could ever need in life. There is no human need that Jesus is not the answer for. I mean, that revelation could unfold and unfold and unfold and unfold for the rest of our lives. Jesus is the all-sufficient person for everything that we need. And whether how much we're experiencing that is whether or not we're trusting in that, right? And so, obviously, we're talking about the blood. That is a huge, it meets a huge need in each and every one of us. You know, when I talk about the blood, I think the blood is widely overlooked. Yes, we take communion often. Yes, you know, you have the, the sacraments and all those things that, that we do and we talk about the blood, but I think the blood widely has been overlooked in the power and the application of it. And, and what I mean by that is I think that we apply the blood in our lives primarily in our born-again experience. And then every once in a while, whether it's a a worship song or something in our lives that reminds us of the blood, that's where we bring it back into remembrance. But today what I want to share share with you today is that the blood should be, be, we should be putting faith in the blood of Christ every single moment of our life. It is literally the only way that we approach God is through the blood, right? And so if if that's our only approach to God, then it ought to be, it's pretty important, right? And Because it's all about this communion, this relationship, this intimacy. For us to experience anything in the kingdom, anything of the, what the Word says, it's, gonna, it's going to come through communion, right? Communion isn't just us, you know, taking the blood and, 
or, or drinking, you know, drinking juice and, and eating bread. It's, it's, it's all about intimacy. It's all about this, this relationship and this connection. And the blood has a, a, a significant um, importance to that relationship that we have with the Father. So first, so Jesus being the answer to every need, there is a problem that comes into play. And we all know this problem, but it just, for the sake of, I never know if somebody's watching on that camera that doesn't know the problem. And so we can always learn something from it. So the problem of our sins. So Romans uh, 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's commonly used. I do. I have a note on here in my heart that... The way that this verse is commonly used, though, is, is not in line with the, the entirety of the gospel. Normally, when this verse gets used, it's to, um, to get a, a lost person, somebody who's not born again, to recognize that they are a sinner. But what makes a, somebody lost not born again, or a sinner by nature is not because they sin. That is commonly the, 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 the route that is commonly trying to bring people into the gospel. And, and I'm not saying that you can't do that. I'm just saying that in the context of the gospel, there's more to the picture. The picture is that we before we received Jesus, we're sinners not because we sinned, but because we were in Adam. Big difference. Big difference. See, Romans 5 and Romans 6 compares and contrasts being in Adam, then being in Jesus. Being in Jesus, it's mentioned three times in one chapter, free from sin, free from sin, free from sin. Three times it talks about being free, have, being free from sin. And so being in Adam, when you're in Adam, if you read Romans 5, it talks about we were born into his disobedience. So, so the contrast is we're not made sinners by our sin. We're made sinners by being in Adam. And here's the awesome part. We're made in Christ, in Jesus, not because of our works, not because of anything that we do, not because of our good behavior, but because we're born in Christ. Big, huge difference. Because if we're going to go out and tell the world, it's important that we have the right path to show them. We're not trying to get people to show all their sin to get them to realize that they're a sinner. Well, they're a sinner because they're an Adam, not because of the sin they committed. It's, and it's just it's so important that we see that part because it's not by your works. It's not. And so it's really important that that verse, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, of course, we, we were, by nature, we were sinners. But how many of you know we're not sinners anymore? We are the righteousness of God because of the blood, because of what he's done. I don't, I don't have a, a sin nature anymore. 
Now, will I sin? Yeah, I will sin, but I won't be. What I'm, what the gospel teaches is that you don't have to live with a sin conscious, being constantly aware. That's what the law does. The law makes us conscious, makes us constantly aware of our sin. And you know what the blood came to do? The blood came to absolutely annihilate that thing. We call that common. I was sharing uh, two or three months ago. I used this illustration. Uh, I was preaching on being cleansed from the evil conscience, uh, this sin conscience. And I used the illustration. I was driving through Peachtree City. Some of you might remember this illustration. And lo and behold, there was a cop. (laughs) Imagine that in Peachtree City. And as I'm passing by uh, this cop, I have the magnetism on the rearview mirror as I'm passing by, going very slow because of the traffic. I'm not breaking any laws. I'm not doing anything. If, if anything, in this point in my life, I'm, I'm living more squeaky clean than I've ever lived in my life. Why do I have the magnetism in my eye to see what he is doing? Why do I care? I'm like, is he going to pull me over? Is he going to pull me over? Why do we do that? That's an evil sin conscious. We live our lives under, we don't even realize we're under the law a lot of times. It says if you're not led by the Spirit, then you're under the law. So it's like either one. If we're not being led by the Spirit, then we're, now we may not be consciously knowing that we're under the law, but subconsciously, we are in the rhythm, in the pattern of what the law produces, which is shame, guilt, and condemnation. All three of those things. And so Romans 5, 8 through 9 says this, But God demonstrates His own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified... By his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Romans 3.24 says, being justified freely. That word justified, if you don't understand what that means, that word justified means to be declared innocent. It's just as if you've never sinned. When God justifies you, he, he looks at you just as if you never sinned. Once you Receive by faith and put faith in the blood and you put faith in the finished work of Jesus, the Bible says that you're justified, that you're declared righteous by faith. It's the Bible. It's the gospel. It says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation. Love that I can say that word. By his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because of his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Say amen. Amen. All right. So like I said, I'm just going to fly through this, okay? So sin brought a guilty conscience. And the reason I'm, I'm flying you know, I fly through some of this is because I only get, I preach like every four to six weeks, so there's a lot that gets downloaded onto me. And so I, I know some people might feel like it's a lot of information, 
that's good time to go back and play, do the playback and listen to it again. Uh, so sin brought a guilty conscience. So part of that guilty conscience is guilt, shame, and condemnation. And here's what I like to think about, I don't like to think about, but understand about shame, guilt, and com- condemnation. Guilt of subconscious confession that you're not forgiven. Shame, a subconscious confession that you're still the old person that you used to be. Condemnation, the subconscious confession that you're worthy to be judged. These make up, these are packaged, these are what the enemy uses to wreak havoc and destroy the believer's life. Shame, guilt, and condemnation. These are never used by God. God never uses guilt, shame, or condemnation. It's important that we understand that. Now, what God does use is conviction. Now, you want to hear the opposite of those three? The opposite of guilt a subconscious confession that you are forgiven. The opposite of shame, a subconscious confession that you are a brand new person. You're a brand new creation. Condemnation. The opposite of that is a subconscious confession that I, Jesus, was judged on my behalf. So I'm no longer worthy to be judged because of what Jesus did. And it's important that we understand when, when guilt, shame, or condemnation try to creep into our conscience that we do not think that it's from God. We constantly, without, without knowing it because of the lack of knowledge, the lack of revelation in our life, are constantly putting God on trial for things that God is not doing. Now, what God does use is God uses conviction. And conviction is always reminding you of those three opposite truths. You're forgiven, you're a brand new creation, and Jesus was judged on your behalf. Conviction shows you that. Conviction is light that comes in and exposes the darkness. Not saying that we are dark, but God's light comes in and exposes truth. And when His light is turned on, darkness has to go. It has to. It just has to. That's what light does. It exposes the darkness and it flees. And so sometimes that can be when God's truth and conviction comes in, it can be a hard pill to swallow sometimes, but that's where we go back to being reminded that we have been forgiven, that we've been made a new creation, and that Jesus was judged on our behalf. You know, I preached the last time that we don't hear from the ear of where we're not, but we hear from the ear of where we're be, what we're being invited into. Jesus doesn't, the Father doesn't want us to hear from where we're not. Because as soon as we start hearing from where we're not, we automatically disqualify 
disqualify ourselves from receiving every promise from God. And God's saying, I'm not, look, I'm not, I'm not trying to point out where you're not. I'm, I'm trying to show you, man, there's life. There's, there's this incredible invitation that you can walk into, that you can be free from guilt. You can be free from shame. You can be free from condemnation. Do we know what that looks like? I know for me personally, before I got a revelation of my identity in Christ, and, and, and living the life that I lived, I, I walked around with always, I could never look anybody in the eye. There was always this subconscious confession. I mean, for obvious reasons, I was using drugs and, you know, living a completely contrary life to the life of God. But I lived with a subconscious confession that I'm not, I'm not worthy, I'm not forgiven, and I am just, I'm just a drug, I'm just a drug addict. I, I lived with this, that portrait, that picture in my heart of who, who I was, but it wasn't really who I was, and I didn't know. And as soon as I got a hold of the truth and the light came in and said, God wasn't saying, you're terrible, what are you doing, you're ruining your life. There's so, you know, he wasn't doing that. He was saying, you're a son. You're my child. You're a brand new creation. And when that light came in, I was able to see that Jesus was inviting me into something. And when I walked in that, into that invitation, I was able to look at people. I was able to look at people in the eyes. And it wasn't, wasn't based upon cleaning up my life. It was based upon what God says about me. So Colossians um, 1.21 says this, that, and you who were once alienated and enemies, enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. Uh, Ephesians 2 says kind of the same thing, that we were dead in our trespasses. We were separated from God, um, it says in Colossians 1.21 that we were alienated enemies in our mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. This word alienated, it means to be shut out from one's fellowship and intimacy. And it says that it was enemies in our mind. That's what shame, guilt, and condemnation does. It it, it puts a barrier, and, it, and it's, it's in our mind. It's not God. God, you know, after Adam and Eve ate of the tree, you know that God continued to fellowship with man. You do know that. We do know that, right? They were kicked out of the garden, and they were removed from the tree of life because once sin entered, nobody would ever want eternity Stuck in sin. You know, there's this movie I watched recently called Tuck Everlasting. Has anybody seen that movie? Yeah, it's a Disney movie. And they drink, this family drinks from this, this tree, this well. And then this, if they drank of this water, they were, became eternal. And they could, they could be shot. They, could be, they couldn't die. They were immortal. They, they couldn't die. And this girl comes along, and she's wandering through the woods, and happens to see one of 
the boys in the family drinking from this, and she wants to drink from the well. And it's a big secret in the movie, but anyways, she, he, she ends up talking to the boy's father because she's having to face the decision of whether or not she's going to drink from this eternal life spring or not. And the father is explaining to her, listen, like you might want to really reconsider drinking of this because of all the pain and all the people you watch you know, he was pointing out how the seasons change and, and he sees so many people, family, people that he's close to just live and die. You know, in this world of, of decay, in this world of sin, it's a blessing. It was a blessing for God to remove Adam and Eve from the tree of life, from the Garden of Eden, because of sin, because of disobedience. It wasn't a rebuke. It was because he loved them and he cared about them. You know, imagine people like Adolf Hitler living forever. Probably would not be a good world. (laughs) So sins and the sin barrier. The, the The sins barrier is the sins committed towards God. The sin bearer being the sin within us. And remember when I'm bringing this up as a born again, new creation in Christ, we are not sinners. We're the righteousness of God. But it's good to to see where we were to know what we've been brought into, right? And so... The remedy for sin is knowing the value of the blood. So I'm going to point out three areas to where the blood is applied. First, it's Godward, and then it's manward, and then it's Satanward, what it deals with Satan. The blood has an impact and effect in those three areas to, towards God, towards man and towards the devil, towards the enemy. But this remedy for for sin and knowing the value of the blood, it has to be revelation. It has to be revelation knowledge. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul prayed that the eyes of our hearts be enlightened. You know, when he was praying that prayer, he was in, in, in the book of Ephesians, He was writing to believers. He was writing to people who had experienced the kingdom, people who had experienced miracles, but he prayed that their eyes of their hearts be enlightened to know the hope of their calling, to know their inheritance, and know the power that's been given to them within. And so that should be our prayer. Lord, Open the eyes of my heart. I, 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 I know there's, there's so much more. I, I know there's, there's such a bigger picture than what I'm, what I'm seeing. I preached on the eyes of our hearts being enlightened several years ago, and there's this 600-foot uh, pit in a cave that I would repel. And, and the many times I would repel down this 
this huge 600-foot hole in a cave, I was only able to see with what my little headlamp could produce and show. But there was one time we, we went to the same spot and we had a, a large flashlight that was like 3,000 lumens and could shed light on the whole thing. And I had done this several times but not known anything about it because I couldn't see. And it was like when the light shined, I could, I could see everything. I could see, I could see little paths that went off here and I could see colors on the rocks that I couldn't see. The eyes of a heart need to be enlightened. And that light, first of all, is the love of God being shed abroad on our hearts. Once the love of God comes in, it sheds light. It, it's, it's, Lord, open the eyes of my heart to know how much you love me. How much, how much value there is in the blood. Open up my eyes to see people how you see people. Open up my eyes to see myself as you see me. Man, as, as Jesus is, so am I in this, in, you know, so am I in this world. Open up my eyes to see that truth. That has to be our prayer. That has to be, that has to be our, our posture and our position towards God. It's not God give me some brand new information. God give me some brand new knowledge. God, open up the eyes of my heart. Open up my eyes. Man, I mean, we have not even scratched the surface of how much there is. And I know I, I probably say the same thing over and over, but we need to hear it over and over again. Because God is so much bigger than what we're seeing. So God, so here's the first part. Well, I want to ask you this question. What value does God place on the blood of his son? It's a good question. If God has a value system and he was going to value the blood of Jesus, the blood of his only begotten son, what's the value of it? I think, it, I, you know what? I think if God even thinks about the value of the value, the blood of his son, I think he's just got to do some jumping jacks. <laughs> I think he's just going to get happy. Because there's so much value. There's so much value in the blood. And our value obviously can never be more than his value, but it shouldn't be less. Yeah. Right? It should be as equal to the value that God has. I'll never know the cost. You better know the cost, how much it costs. If we don't know how much it costs, we'll never walk in the transformation that God so freely offers us. That's what's being offered to us every single moment of every single day. God is offering transformation, life, freedom, healing, restoration. He's a God of restoration. He's a heart God. God is more concerned about what he's doing in you than what he's going to do through you. But if he never does something in you, he can never do something through you. So God sees the blood. So God doesn't overlook our sin, but he sees the blood, right? He sees the blood when, when, the, when, the Hebrew, when the Hebrews, they put the, for the Passover, they put the blood, 
They put it on the outside of the doorpost. It wasn't that God didn't see that they were in the house. It's just that he saw the blood and passed over them. I think of it as a parent, you know, with my kids. You know, they, they, um, <laughs> they challenge us, <laughs> don't they? And, um, and when they get older, I'm going to be more challenged. And, um, but it's not that I don't, when they make a mistake or they, they take from one another, the, the whole thing is so challenging with them taking and not sharing Ugh, don't you wish they would just share and keep the peace? That's where you got to tap into that inward man. <laughs> and, but as a parent, you know, your kids, I mean, as a parent, I'm just beginning to understand. And my dad's back there, my lovely dad. And uh, he, walked, he watched me walk through the terrible walk that I walked through. And he began to, you know, this big part of my testimony. And my dad's life was dramatically changed by the love of God. He went, he was translated from death to life. Uh, he started to understand the love of God like he had never understood the love of God. And it transformed the whole way that he had relationship with me. And I would come home and intoxicated and, and you know, on just do it, live in the way that I was living and his whole approach and relationship with me changed once he began to receive the love of the Father in his life. And it wasn't that he was overlooking or dismissing my sin, but he was looking at something more important. He was looking at my value, that I was his son. It's this, like the story of the prodigal son, right? Right? The prodigal son, he had his whole speech prepared. Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. You know, the father didn't even hear a word that he said. The father said, let me put a robe on you. Let me put, let's kill the fatted calf. Let's throw a party. Let's get crazy tonight for Jesus. Amen? Amen. Because my son who is lost has now been found. You know, God didn't die because we were sinners. And you hear, blasphemy, blasphemy. Jesus died because he had to die because we were sinners. But that wasn't his why. His reason, what motivated him, what the joy that was set before him was bringing lost sons and daughters back into a family. <laughs> That's the reason why. But if you think the reason that Jesus died for you was just because you're a dirty, rotten sinner. Well, that doesn't have much value at all. Yes, because you, we were born in Adam, but because of we all along, we were part of his family. And he adopts us and he brings us back in. It's so important that we understand the purpose and the why for why Jesus died on the cross for us. Because if we constantly understand it from a point that he died because we were sinners, we'll constantly live defeated and we'll constantly live in shame, guilt, and condemnation. If we don't understand what Jesus came to do is to restore us as sons and daughters back into the family. Just, it's just the truth, man. We, we can't back down from it. 
So God sees incredible value in the blood. He sees the blood. It's not that he's not overlooking your sin, but in his sight, he sees a son. He sees a daughter. He sees life. He sees value. So the Day of Atonement, um, this was a day, I'm, I'm just, I'm skimming over some like big topics. Uh, the Day of Atonement, so it was a day once a year, like I was saying in the beginning, that the high priest once a year, one time a year, so one time a year for everybody to get all their garbage together, <laughs> all, their, all, their, their, all that shame, all that guilt, and all that condemnation, and the perf- a perfect lamb was picked out for the high priest. And the, the high priest would offer that. There was, a, there was a courtyard where they would put the, the sacrifices on this altar. And this altar is, was constantly burning sacrifices. And it's for the appeasement of people's conscience. And so the high priest would offer this spotless, perfect lamb on this day of atonement. And then what the, what the high priest would do would then go into the tabernacle and to the Holy of Holies and present the blood on the mercy seat, right? And only the high priest could do that. And that was a good day. That was a good day for, for the Jewish people because on that day, all that stuff that had been going on all year, that one day, they could release it. They could release all that stuff that's been holding them back. All those barriers, all those walls between them and God, they could just completely just abandon and just have complete openness in relationship with God the Father. Hey, that's important in a marriage, right? (laughs) For us to have entrance and openness and for shame, guilt, and condemnation to be removed. Man, marriage is really challenging if you have shame, guilt, and condemnation having an underlying subconscious effect in your life. Because what those things do is they keep us from drawing close to one another, even our friends, even our family. We're so to ourselves sometimes because we're not letting the blood, we're not putting faith in the blood to do what it's meant to do. Hebrews 9, 11 through 12 says this, But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all. Say once for all. Having obtained eternal, I love that word, eternal redemption. It's eternal. has no end. So I'm going to talk about a carnal approach to the blood. So again, restating, a carnal approach to the blood is approaching or putting or trying to feel it, trying to sense it. A a carnal, what carnal means is just going from your five senses, what you can see, taste, smell, uh, hear, and feel. It's just going by what you see. It's going by natural. I mean, can you feel the blood? Can you sense the blood? So how do we get the blood to work in our lives? We have to put faith in the blood, and faith is trust. 
1 Peter 1.18 through 19 says this, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. You weren't redeemed with gold. You weren't redeemed with anything on this earth, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. It says, John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So, um, the blood for man, that's what we're going to talk about. So, so a carnal approach to the blood, I'll just, you want to have, instead of going by what you can sense and feel, you go back to God's value for the blood. You don't sense it, you don't feel it, but you, in your heart, that's the, the eyes of your heart being enlightened. What is God's value for the blood? And if God has value for the blood, then I'm going to put my faith and I'm going to put my trust in it, right? So the blood for man. Oh, man. Um, the, the blood for the man, I'm just going to read, uh, go to verse 2, Hebrews 10, verse 2. For then they would not have ceased to be offered, for the worshipers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sins. So sin awareness is a constant reminder that there is a wall or barrier between God and me. Again, like I said, the sin conscious is having that cop in your rear view. You're not meant to live your life where you're constantly looking back, seeing if if God's going to pull you over, right? We're always looking back, seeing if God's going to pull us over and write us a ticket. But God's not here to write us a ticket. Faith is ever-present with a clean conscience that is made clean by the blood. Your faith is always present when the, faith, when the blood, when we put our consciences clean by the blood. So we put no confidence in the flesh. Philippians 3 uh, talks about this. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God is by faith. So we don't put confidence in our flesh. Not whether we've, sometimes the, the temptation would be, well, I've, been, I've escaped this habit, or I've escaped, I've been living better, or I've been praying more, or I've been reading my Bible before, more, or, or whatever, or I'm serving in the church, or whatever the basis could be. We could have the basis of our approach to God and it could be a subconscious thing in our own hearts, but we don't recognize it. Are we approaching God by the blood? Or are we approaching Him by measuring how, how well we've been doing or how well we haven't been doing, right? And so what foundation are we standing on when we approach God? Our approach to God is always in boldness. Always in boldness and always in confidence. So you know, here's the thing about boldness is it's not boldness is not arrogance, right? 
boldness in pertaining to the matter of the blood is just, you think about 1 Corinthians 13, about what love is, not seeking its own. Thinks more highly of others. It's not prideful. It's not boastful. But our boldness comes by recognizing and looking at Jesus. That's why we have boldness, to always approach. All right? So the blood, I'm going to give you this quote. Whether you have a good day or a bad day, whether you've consciously sinned or not, your basis of approach is always the same. Doesn't change. It's the blood of Christ. The blood is for every day of your life. So it's not for just when we get born again, but the blood is for every single day of our life. It's for right now. It's for when we walk out of these, these doors. It's for every day of our life. So the Satan, Satan and the blood. So in the beginning... When man's disobedience through Adam came, we were separated from the vine. But when we come back into Christ, we're restored back into the vine. The branch comes off, and the branch is being restored back into the vine, the true vine being Jesus. And so what the enemy is constantly trying to do, the enemy is constantly trying to get us to believe that we're disconnected. Constantly, he's the accuser of the brethren. He's constantly trying to make us aware that there's something, that there's something between us and God. And I'm here to tell you that, like, there's nothing between us and God. Like, the way has been made clear through his blood. So a big thing is past, present, and future sins have been dealt with. And a lot of people are like, how can he pay for your future sins? Well, you, you better hope that he paid for our future sins because he only died once. Amen. He's not dying over and over and over and over again. It's Hebrews 10, once for all. The sacrifice once for all was given for our past, present, and future sins, the sins that we haven't even committed. That's the power of the blood. It pays for the things that you haven't even done yet. Big and little sins. I mean, things that we consider the most dark, destructive sins, and then the tiniest things. Paid for them all. Conscious or unconscious. All sin was dealt with at the foot of the cross. Every bit of it. Hebrews 10, 16 through 17 says this, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and their minds. I will write them. And then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Why are we remembering them? <laughs> if he doesn't remember them, why are we remembering them? You know, it talks about how those sacrifices were meant to be a reminder of sin. But the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, of his blood, is not to remind us of our sins, but to tell us that, he, he, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
That doesn't give us a license and a freedom, obviously, like we hear a thousand times in here to just go live wild and crazy. But it gives us the privilege and the freedom to live in sonship. Romans 8, 33 through 34 says this, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Point to yourself, I am God's elect. We are God's elect. It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? He's saying, it's not God. God's not the one condemning. It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Now here's the big thing. Satan accuses us before God and in our own conscience. This is a big deal. It's a really big deal. Because a lot of what we think or believe is about ourselves is actually the enemy trying to bring accusation in our conscience. Has anybody had a dream? Just, just be real with me. Has anybody had a dream that it, remi- it was something that reminded you of your past that would bring shame, guilt, condemnation? Anybody had one of those dreams, right? Yeah, I think everybody. That's not, let me give you some, some truth. That's not coming from the inside of you. Now, I don't understand how that, all that works, but the enemy comes to accuse our conscience and reminds us. Now, I mean, there may be something that the Holy Spirit may be trying to show you through that, but I think as a whole, if the impression that's left on your heart is feeling like, man, I didn't even, I haven't done that in 10 years, but you start feeling the reoccurring shame and condemnation and guilt of that, it's from the pit of hell. Don't receive it. Don't even talk about it. Don't go to somebody, a dream interpreter, about it. You don't need to do any of that. You just go with the truth of the Word of God. That I am made a brand new creation. I am forgiven. Jesus was judged on my behalf. These dreams, these thoughts are not a part of me. And I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry about getting passionate about that because it's wreaking so much destruction in people. See, we understand a lot of times how the blood pertains to God. And then we may start to understand a little bit how the blood pertains to us, re- removing a guilty conscience. But when it comes to the enemy accusing and speaking lies upon, and he wants those lies. He wants those lies to grow. You know, everything works as seed time and harvest, right? You do understand that. That everything, whether good or bad, is working in the principle of seed time and harvest. And whatever's planted in our life is whatever we're being intimate with. And we can be so intimate with our past and we can be so intimate with who we're not that we allow what's not to grow in our lives. If that makes any sense. It's so important that we understand the blood, we put faith in the blood 
to deal with this, these, these things. We have to understand. If we don't understand, again, we'll not be able to walk into the victory that Jesus paid for with his precious blood. The great temptation. So the great temptation is when the enemy comes to accuse us is to look at our own lives, to self-examine where we either, either we, we examine and say, well, yeah, I have really been blowing it. I'm just really missing it. I'm just, just a loser. And I'm, just, I'm just never going to get out of this cycle. I'm just always going to continue to run these same courses. Who am I to think that I could ever really do anything for God? Who am I to ever think I could actually ever raise my children? Who am I to ever think I could do this? We examine, or we examine ourselves in, in a self-righteous way. We examine ourselves, well, you know what? I'm, you know, although I blew it, I've been doing pretty good here. So, you know, I know, devil, you're really trying to, really trying to just destroy my life in this moment right now. But listen, you don't know how much I've been giving. You don't, you don't know how loving I've actually been. You know, I, I, I stopped in the road and picked up a poodle the other day, you know. <laughs> that did happen, by the way. <laughs> and I got peed on by the poodle. <laughs> so love sometimes causes you to get peed on by poodles. Yes. Devil, you have nothing against me. A poodle peed on me. But you can't. When the devil comes at you with accusations, you can't come from that point. You have... So this is the next slide, and this will be our closing slide. Never respond to Satan with anything apart from the blood. Ever. That is the only way that we ever respond to accusation. That's the way that we only respond to guilt and condemnation and shame is with the blood. It's been paid for. Thank you. We, we, have to, we have to see this. The blood has incredible value. And I'm not here to tell you, like, I'm even scratched the surface of this, but I'm, what God is showing me in my life is, like, it starts it starts with, it's the ABCs, right? This is the ABC of the gospel, right? You've probably all heard a message on the blood. Probably heard hundreds of messages on the blood. And I understand it's the ABCs. But it's the ABC. We have to, we have to be rooted and grounded in this. And when it talks about having no other foundation but Jesus Christ, I think it's talking about this. That our life is not built on anything else. We won't have to be like, what is it, the story about the wolf blowing down the pig's houses and going to each one. The three, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if our foundation is built on Christ, as a man that builds their house on the rock, not on the sand, this is building our house on the rock. This is building our life on a foundation that matters. We can talk a lot about a lot of great things in here, we can talk about the blood. We can talk about the finished work. We can talk about living life where you're waking up and it gives you joy. 
He gives you peace and he gives you freedom in the midst of two crazy little girls running around your house. <laughs> in the midst of whatever's going in your life, if we can put faith in the blood, we can put faith in what Jesus has done for us, we're building our house on a rock. And when our house is built on a rock, when a storm comes, our house will not be torn down. It's just true. <laughs> it's just true. Jesus is inviting us into something. Jesus is inviting us into life. And we don't hear it again. We don't hear any of this for where we're not. Oh, man, I, man, I've, man, I hear all this, and I've not really been applying. I haven't been putting faith in the blood. No, stop it. That's not what we're doing. We're being invited into his blood. So Chris is going to come up here, and we're going to take communion, and that's how we're going to end today. So if you didn't get a communion cup, um, we have some on the back table over there. If you're watching online, listen, you don't have to have these fancy uh, communion cups that we have here. You can, if you got a box of Cheerios, if you got a, if you got any kind of, you got juice or water or whatever, you know, we don't have to get, it's all about what's behind it, right? It's not about, it's not about the sacraments. It's more about the meaning behind it, why we're doing it, right? And so if you're watching, we want to invite you to take communion with us today. So as we take communion, you just take your bread, your little styrofoam wafer, <laughs> and Jesus, we remember that your body was broken for us. And because of your body, we can be nourished by your life. This is an invitation. Go ahead and stand with me, if you would. This is an invitation for us to partake in the life of Christ. This is an invitation to walk into the life that he lives. You know that Jesus is pretty joyful right now. You know that Jesus is pretty peaceful right now. You know Jesus got a big smile on his face. You know Jesus in the midst of everything. Jesus is good. And it's not because he doesn't see what's going on in the world. He just sees the whole bigger picture. He's like the, he's like the player in Monopoly. He sees all, he sees it all. He doesn't just see what's right ahead. He sees it all. And God is inviting us. Jesus is inviting us to have that life, to share in that life. That's the reason that he died. And it's moment by moment that as we make a decision in our hearts to put faith in it, regardless, I, I don't care if you don't feel it. I don't care if you don't have a goosebump. That what makes it faith is not the action, it's the motivation behind the action. It's you recognizing this has incredible value, this has incredible significance, because God says it has significance. God says that it's precious. When God thinks about the blood, he just can't help himself but just to dance all around. Right? So we may not feel that, we may not whatever, but we know what God thinks about it. 
and we put faith in what God thinks about it. And his, his view and opinion supersedes ours. And so this body is his broken body. If you have healing in your body that you need healing, I just want you to believe that as you take this, that you're going to receive, you're going to receive healing into your body. Pinched nerves and aches and pains, you know God wants you to be whole. So Father, we take you this, thank you that your body was broken, your life, your flesh was given for us. Thank you, Father, we take it now. grape juice and you know you can do this in your life it's a good practice you can do this every day you don't have to wait till the first Sunday of every month here at Forward Church but you can do it every day you can do it while you're at Waffle House take your raisin bread your raisin bread and you know your water your juice you can take communion right why wait? It's not a law, it's a privilege. It's constantly reminding ourselves, man, what Jesus did for me has incredible value. And this blood, as we talked about, this blood took care of our sins that were committed against God, it took care of a consciousness that's full of regret and guilt and shame and condemnation and took care of those accusations those things that try to creep in to be at night with dreams or whatever you take this in faith and recognize and if you have a dream tonight thank God you heard this message you're not going to let it eat your lunch as, it, as a man says and pop your bag <laughs> you're going to go Father, I so thank you <laughs> that even though I had this dream, even though I'm having this, I so thank you that what you have done in me, you've made me, you've forgiven me, you've made me a brand new person. I'm not that old person. I'm not that old man. I'm not that old person that had regrets and shame. I'm not that person who just continues to just go around the same vicious cycles that keep bringing death into my life. Those aren't those actions are not who I am. So Father, I just take this blood and know that this blood is the payment for everything that I need. So we'll take the blood right now. So I'm just going to close in prayer. Father, we just thank you what we did was just just an act of faith just trusting in your work just trusting in your body just trusting in your blood Father we just thank you God we ask that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts God open the eyes of our hearts God right now Father I just thank you for opening, opening our eyes here people watching online the eyes of our hearts are being enlightened to see the value that you place on the blood. 
place on the life of Jesus. Just right now, I just want to personalize this right now in your life. moment go don't let it go act where do you need this in your life what's wrecking your life what emotions and feelings are wrecking your life what behaviors habits and things are wrecking your life what mindset mindsets and attitudes are keeping you you just personalize it and say father I, I Maybe it's been a long time since you've even talked to you've even talked to God. You've even said his name out loud. salvation be restored listen if we're all gloom and doom got a sad face people don't want what we got just saying but if you got a smile on your face you won't even have to try to tell people about Jesus they'll ask you hey why are you so happy what's wrong with you I know the value of the blood blood has washed me white as snow All right, I guess y'all are dismissed. (laughs)